Welcome to the Kids Corner, where we explore sensory processing, development, and play with purpose as it pertains to eating, sleeping, playing, and growing. On this podcast, we will educate you on the lesser known topics, give practical tips and tricks to help elevate your practice, and provide resources for families and caregivers. We are your hosts. I'm Bean, the co-founder of Reu and a recovering paraplegic. And I'm Nancy, a kinesiologist specializing in pediatrics, facilitating learning and development through movement and play therapies. Today, we're happy to welcome back one of our neuroexercise specialists, Brooklyn, back to the podcast. Welcome, Brooklyn. Hi, thank you for having me once again. Yeah, of course. And uh, today, we're going to be asking Nancy some questions about the rhythmic movement method. So I guess we'll just start with what are the origins of the rhythmic movement method and how did it come to be? Yeah, so I mean, as you've seen with a lot of these other therapies we've talked about, a lot of them are born born out of necessity or somebody seeing a need or a gap in a system and seeking to fill it. So the rhythmic movement method, it was created by Dr. Harold Blomberg. He's a Swedish psychiatrist. His work is based off of a different Swedish therapist whose name is Kristen Lind from 1985, where he went and really looked through and learned that program. So they started based on, he was treating a lot of ADHD and with medications and things, but wasn't seeing the results he was wanting. So he was getting curious about all the results that he was seeing from Kristen Lind and got interested in what was happening and uh, created this movement based off of that. Interesting. Yeah, that's cool. So what is the rhythmic movement method then? Yeah, so the rhythmic movement method is a bunch of different exercises that were developed on the basis of the typical spontaneous rhythmic movement seen in infants. So a neurotypical infant will do seemingly random spontaneous rhythmical movements. So what we mean by rhythmical is kind of repetitive in a even tempo pattern pathway So those rhythmic movements can really look like anything. In the rhythmic movement method, they've created a core, I guess, series of exercises, giving somebody a starting place. But once you know the core exercises, you can kind of branch off from that. Okay, cool. So then how does it work? Yeah, so this is where we get to dive into the science behind it. So there is actually a lot of supporting science, which is the really cool part. So we did say that rhythmic movement methods was developed based on the spontaneous movements that were seen from infants. So these rhythmic exercises stimulate development of the basal ganglia. So that is part of your brainstem. Mm-hmm. And that links up with other parts of the brain. So we're going to be talking about a few different parts of the brain and spinal cord. So the basal ganglia is a big one, the limbic system, the neocortex. So those are the three big areas that we're going to be kind of linking together and and the cerebellum as well. So these three areas are really huge in terms of typical development for not only motor, but language and higher level processing. Hmm. So the rhythmic exercises help integrate primitive reflexes, develop postural reflexes, and improve the ability to sit still and to automize movements. What do we mean by automize movements is basically, you know how you can, you know, drive without thinking or walk without thinking. That's the automization of movement. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So 
The three key structures we're going to talk about now, we're going to go a little bit more in depth, is the basal ganglia, the limbic system, neocortex. So we know the brainstem is responsible for life-sustaining processes. So if you um, think about your heartbeat, your circulation, so we're going above that. So the brainstem is key to survival and it's sending and receiving sensory input and motor outputs in response to our senses. So if we go from there, we have the different nuclei within the brainstem. So different, basically, if you want to think about spots in your brainstem that are responsible for different things. So they can be responsible for basically like your muscle tone, tactile, kinesthetic, and vestibular senses. Mm -hmm. Okay, so a whole bunch of different things. This is just a few examples. This is not everything your brainstem does. Mm -hmm. But one key part of your brainstem is the reticular activating system. This is the central part of your brainstem. So we're going right into the middle of it. And that, that part of your brainstem, the, the medulla oblongata, that middle part, is responsible for receiving input from the senses and transmitting it to your big brain, so your cerebral cortex. And this controls all the functions of being awake, attentive, and also sleep on the flip side of that spectrum. So this is key to being aware of everything that's happening outside of your internal environment, so the external environment around you. Okay. So your brainstem is basically providing access for your big brain to the reticular activating system. So this is the connection, if you will, from brainstem up to your big brain. Okay. 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 And so that's kind of the brainstem piece of it. So now we're going to talk about the cerebellum. So the cerebellum is huge in terms of the rhythmic movement. So this creates a network of connections from the cerebellum to the motor cortex. So we know the cerebellum is huge on coordination of movement. And the vestibular nuclei as well are tied in to this to make your movement smooth, easy, and coordinated. Mm. All right. So rhythmic movements have a very special importance to stimulate growth and maturation of nerve connections of the cerebellum and the brain. So this is specifically in a neurotypical infant from six to 12 months. This is really in high gear and rapid growth of the cerebellum. So these rhythmic movements during the six months to 12 month period actually help your cerebellum grow. So this is kind of the, what, what I guess in a rep reptile, we'd call it the hindbrain, but in adults, it, it still is your hindbrain, but it sits kind of underneath your big brain. So it's like the back of your skull. If you were to basically put your hand at the back, right at the yeah. bottom, that's where your cerebellum kind of lives. Yeah. So this one is huge for movement and balance and so much maturation of your neuronal networks. Okay. So if you don't stimulate your cerebellum, it actually doesn't grow very much. Okay, so we need it to grow in order to achieve a lot of our bigger movement skills. So then if there was, you know, kids where it didn't grow, what kind of diagnoses would they have or what kind of symptoms would they have? As for diagnoses, that can be a whole spectrum of diagnoses. Symptoms would be potentially lack of movement, lack of coordination. It can look di different for different things. They may or may not be hitting their motor milestones. So it's very individual based on what the cause is for their cerebellum not 
growing because there are specific conditions like cerebellar hypoplasia, which is an actual condition in which the cerebellum is not growing, but it's due to different causes, not just the lack of ability of the infant to move. Right. So a lot of the stuff we're talking about right now is for whatever reason, they've not had the ability to produce these spontaneous rhythmic movements. And this is what we're starting to see is we're starting to see the effects of that because of the lack of connections being built, which happens to increase that rapid growth of the cerebellum. So just because you don't do rhythmic movements doesn't mean your cerebellum is not going to grow, but we know the number of connections within there is going to be less. Okay. So just to kind of clarify something when we were going back and talking about all the brain structures and their roles. Mm -hmm. So rhythmic movements are working to connect and grow those parts of the brain to help with the automation of movement. Yeah, so they do a few things. So basically the rhythm is the spontaneous movements that stimulates and organizes and develops the brain as a whole. So it's connecting all the different pieces. So the rhythm gives the alternating stimulation of the brain through the different nerve signals. So the rhythm gives us vestibular input, tactile input, which is basically just contact, and proprioceptive, which is also part of that contact as well. So the alternating stimulation is this efficient and uninterrupted information the brain can't get used to because it's alternating stimulation. So that's why it's so good at developing Mm. the brain because it's that alternating between one and the other. So one thing I guess that's important to note with rhythmic movements is it's not just the head moving, it's not just an arm moving, it's the whole body that's moving. So rhythmic movements include the whole body in some capacity. So the alternating stimulus part is the most important aspect of rhythmic rhythmic movements. Yeah, so it's got a, an even kind of start and end, but it keeps going back and forth. So it's never waiting too long at one point. So if you think about jumping up and down, if you jump to a rhythm, it's actually easier to maintain that jumping than if you were to stop. Because when you stop, you feel tired, you don't want to keep going, right? That being said, that's not a rhythmic movement. We'll go into (laughs) why that's not a rhythmic movement later on. That's just an example of kind of what uh, that alternating rhythm is. So the start and stop, but then it keeps going, bouncing back and forth. If you even think about a pendulum, right? So the pendulum swinging back and forth. Um, If you want to think about it on a clock, it goes tick tock. That's kind of the rhythmic movements that we're kind of seeing. And that's what we're looking to achieve when we're doing this. Mm. And then the sensory stimulation that's caused by the rhythmic movements encourages the growth of the nerve nets, the brainstem, cerebellum, basal ganglia, and the cortex to develop. So this is where we're now connecting the brainstem to the cerebellum, to the basal ganglia, and to the cortex. So these nerve nets are basically just neuronal growth and connections from each piece of your brain. So this is what makes us so complex and the ability to do so many complex movements are these neuronal nets. Right. So these movements help increase muscle tone of the extensor muscles. So this is why we can have a child that goes from more hypotonic to more regular tone. So low tone to uh, more typical tone is because we're now stimulating this brainstem and extending all of these neuronal nets into now functional uh, improvements that we're going to see. Right. So it's helping to mature the brain through these neuronal networks. Because if we think about it, maturation is really just more complexity in 
thought, in processes, and this is all achieved by more connections within our brain, right? If we're thinking about learning a task, you don't learn it right away, you learn it through doing different things. And the cool thing with rhythmic movements is you're maturing the brain without having to really think really hard about any one thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I have a five-month-old niece in our house, and so it's really cool to see her developing, knowing all the things that I know now about neurotypical child developing. It's pretty Mm -hmm. cool to see just how complex human life really is. It's astounding. Mm -hmm. So we were talking about a bunch of different parts of the brain and how they play a role in rhythmic movements. What role does the limbic system have? Yeah, that's a great question because the limbic system is comprised of a bunch of different areas of the brain. So the limbic system is the midbrain, the amygdala, which is in the temporal lobe, and the hippocampus, which is also in the temporal lobe. Those are the main parts of the limbic system. And they're connected to a specific nerve nucleus, which is stimulated by the reticular activating system. So that reticular activating system, now let's bring us back to, that's kind of in that brainstem. So now this is how we're starting to connect into our cortex. And the limbic system we know is that regulation of emotions. Right. So the ability to self-regulate is highly tied in with this limbic system. So there's a lot of complicated pathways and nerve pathways um, to regulating the inner environment. But all we need to know really is that the limbic system helps regulate the inner environment and plays an important role in relationship to surrounding your surrounding environment. Right. So the limbic system can be activated internally by like hunger or thirst, but it can also be activated by a threatening situation or through a specific perceived stimulus that you're uncomfortable with. So it's kind of one of our alert systems, but this evokes thoughts and feelings from this system, right? So if we're very unintegrated with a particular reflex, let's just go with moral reflex that we've been talking about on these podcasts, Mm -hmm. this can be a very dysregulated system. So we have to remember, though, that the limbic system is also stimulated by proprioceptive vestibular and tactile input being stimulated or transmitted through the reticular activation system. So the reticular activation system is very much tied to proprioceptive vestibular and tactile. That's how it's getting its information. Now it's feeding the limbic system with that information as well. So it's not necessarily just the visual auditory um, senses that we initially would be like, oh yeah, you're scared because of this. Well, there's other pieces to it as well. If you think about the brainstem, that's our heartbeat, that's our blood pressure control, right? So this is where we start to understand why somebody's going to be dysregulated because they're getting fed from that brainstem to the limbic system. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, I think for us, because we have a little bit of knowledge of how human body works it does make sense but you did use a lot of big words in there (laughs) Mm -hmm. is there anything that I can clarify then so the role that the limbic system has in regulating the body is more that internal proprioception part of that dysregulation so the limbic system is linked to the brainstem so the brainstem is where a lot of our initial information is coming from leading to the limbic system to give a response. So the limbic system gets the touch, the vestibular, which is kind of like our inner ear, proprioception, also more of that where we are in space. Mm -hmm. So that is going to the limbic system to lead to some sort of emotion, feeling, thought. Oh, 
Okay. Uh, so the limbic system then is more like your response. Like how yeah, you're responding yeah. to that information. Exactly. So oh, okay, the gotcha. Is kind of activated by some sort of internal or external stimulus that's mm-hmm. coming primarily from the reticular activation system, which is just basically a part of our brainstem. Mm-hmm. And then we're leading to feelings, emotions from that limbic system. So that's kind of the end of that pathway. Okay, yeah, that makes more sense for me personally now that I've tied that last little piece in. Yeah, so one thing with the limbic system now, too, is that rhythmic movement, it can lead to a state of calm, but it can also lead to outbursts. And we know now why rhythmic movement can lead to outbursts, because it's a very powerful stimulus that we're giving to the brainstem that's leading, going straight to the limbic system, which can be just be overwhelming, right? So we're giving you too much new input that you're not ready for. So let's say that you put in that new input that the body's not ready for and you don't tolerate the rhythmic movement well. How do you still do those rhythmic movements while allowing for the, your child to be a little bit more tolerant of the exercises? Yeah, so we have a couple of little sneaky tricks, so to speak. You can do it while they're sleeping, if only if they're a good sleeper. That's what I um, advise my parents is if they're not a good sleeper, don't mess with their sleep. Mm-hmm. Okay, But if they are, you can do it while they sleep. The other way, we just introduce it in small little bouts. You don't have to go for, you know, two, three minutes. You can do it little 10-second bouts, right? Anything is better than nothing, and they're going to build up their tolerance as they start maturing. Mm -hmm. And then I guess I have um, another question related to that limbic system in terms of it's uh, your child's not tolerating the rhythmic movements well because of the response from the limbic system. Aside from rhythmic movements, is there any other way we can facilitate the development of that limbic system to help uh, those rhythmic movements be more tolerable? Yeah, so I mean, we've actually paired it with MNRI, so the Mogustive Reflex Integration Therapy. We've talked about this on an earlier podcast, um, so if you want to go listen to that one, it goes more in depth into that, but reflex integration is paired really well with um, the rhythmic movement method, Um, and it's actually talked about quite a bit through that. We're just diving into the rhythmic movements themselves today, just because we've already talked about the reflex integration piece. For sure. Yeah, I think we've said that before. It's just like, it's usually a combination of things that gives the optimal results. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's cool that this method does recognize that, right? It's, there's more than just the rhythmic movements. They're definitely a key and essential piece, Mm -hmm. but they're not the end all be all. And there's definitely things that are needed to supplement the gaps that are still seen. Mm-hmm. So it's not that rhythmic movements are a stepping stone to other therapies, they're more used in tandem. Yes, I would definitely say that. And I mean, rhythmic movements I give primarily as homework as well, because A, it's easy for like a parent to provide to the child or even for an adult to do themselves or even caregiver to the adult, because you don't need to be super strong. A lot of them are either on your back or on your stomach or on your side. Mm-hmm. You can get into hands and knees. There's ones for hands and knees, but it's all um, very much a progression. I mean, even if you don't have the current ability to get out of your wheelchair, you can even do them seated in in a chair or a wheelchair so there's lots of workarounds which makes it very accessible for everybody mm-hmm. yeah cool um okay so then can we talk about what the benefits are to using the rhythmic movement method 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, speaking about benefits is interesting because everybody's going to respond a little bit different. Yeah. What we do know is just generally we see improvements in motor abilities. So gross motor milestones, motor control, coordination, improvement in muscle tone, whether that be hypotonic, so low muscle tone or high muscle tone. They they do help integrate primitive reflexes as well. When we talked a lot about the behaviors, you do notice changes in behaviors, the ability to be more calm, sit still. That being said, there can be changes in speech, in vision, uh, attention, reading, writing. So there's no really, um, I guess, roadmap for how your child or you will improve. Mm -hmm. But we do know that we do see improvements in a whole bunch of different areas. I think it's if you have deficits or like more noticeable deficits in a specific area, that's usually what tends to change first. But that's not a given. Yeah. Well, after hearing that, it sounds like I need to start doing some rhythmic movements. <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of people, even, you know, able-bodied adults, they yeah. find it calming and regulating, right? Yeah. So if you're really stressed one day, do some rhythmic movements. It'll help kind of ground and center you and get everything back on track. Okay. So basically anybody can benefit from these rhythmic movements. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be you need some diagnosis or condition to be able to do these movements. Is It literally can be applied to anybody. Like if you think about somebody with dyslexia or even just mild, what they would consider, I guess, learning disabilities in school, mm-hmm. like they would benefit probably the most from these because you would see the changes and the big leaps. Mm-hmm. So what we tend to see is that children or adults who are a little bit more functional in their um, motor milestones mm-hmm. tend to have big, that almost like immediate results whereas somebody who's more involved who let's say they're not rolling crawling standing mm-hmm. or doing independent movements mm-hmm. they're going to take that longer time frame so that's going to be that over mm-hmm. three six months to even a year to start seeing changes okay. right so it's the consistency in doing it so we say you know 20 minutes a day kind of five to six days a week to be very effective with this program okay mm-hmm. That being said, if you can't achieve the 20 minutes, that's kind of the goal. If you can't achieve that 20 minutes, that's okay. Start with, you know, two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, and work your way up. Obviously, you know, splitting it up throughout the day um, for any sort of caregiver would make it easier. And again, if they're, you know, really engrossed in a show or something and just, you know, having the time of their life while you're doing this, you can keep going for longer, right? Is there a point where you've gone for too long? No, so um, interesting case when I was um, taking one of these courses about rhythmic movement training, uh, they told us about a little, I think she was a six month old, but, you know, they did it for half an hour and she was just, you know, laughing, giggling, loving it. And when you'd stop, they'd be like, you know, she'd start, you know, complaining. She wanted more. She wanted more stimulation. She felt so good and she loved it. Mm -hmm. Right. So she's getting the stimulation she needs that she's missing. Right. So. I don't think there's too much. I think they would, again, let you know when's enough's enough. And it's Mm -hmm. kind of evident just based on their behaviors, right? They start kind of fidgeting, whining, kind of kicking you away, that kind of thing. Or, you know, just being very vocal that they, hey, we don't like this anymore and we need a break. Is it always specific exercises that are beneficial? 
Yeah, so there's a repertoire that they've created to help people learn the rhythmic movement um, method. So we'll just talk about a few of the big ones that uh, most people are able to do and are very um, easy to do. So if you lie in your stomach, so ideally this is done kind of completely flat down there, head resting nicely. You don't have to stuff your nose in the ground or anything like that. You can turn it to the side. And then you're just going to have your legs straight and then wiggle your hips back and forth, left and right. So the goal with this exercise is to have your shoulders not move and your hips move. So this is where we talk about it's helping to integrate reflexes. So this is separation of your upper and lower body. Can you wiggle your hips left and right, which is a seemingly simple task. But when it comes to brain maturity, some people will have a really hard time with this. Mm-hmm. Right, so that's kind of one example of one exercise on your on your stomach. And then if you go onto your back, we'll just give another example here. You're lying on your back, your knees are bent, your feet are flat on the floor. And this is one that typically you'll have somebody facilitate with you initially. Even for able-bodied people, it's funny how difficult this one tends to be. So they'll be placing their hands on your knees and pulling towards them. So they're sitting at your feet, pulling towards you in that rhythmical movement. And this is an interesting one to try yourselves um, too, so you can feel the rhythm. So a lot of people also have trouble facilitating initially because you pull too hard and then you let go. So you want constant contact with the knees as you're going forward and backward. And what you're looking for is the nodding of the head, right? The head's gonna nod up and down as you're kind of pulling on those knees, right? So you're pulling, it's almost like you're pulling down into the feet and letting them go back up, but you're keeping that constant pressure. So we are going back to that pendulum now. That's what you want to achieve, right? So not a choppy kind of rhythm, but a very smooth rhythm to it. And then you can go faster or slower and play around with what rhythm that you actually enjoy, right? You'll find that everybody's got a different internal rhythm that they enjoy. Some people need to go fast. Some people need to go slow. With children or those that are nonverbal, you're going to hear their vocals right or they're fidgeting if they're fidgeting try slowing it down try speeding it up right it just means you're not quite in tune with what they're wanting right so listening to their body reading it and responding based on what you're doing so those are just a couple examples of rhythmic movements that being said anything you do kind of with the full body so you notice those last two it includes the whole body right so you're you're wiggling the hips left and right you're relaxed with the rest of your body you're letting it flow kind of up the body on your back that's everything from head all the way down so if you think about those kinds of things right so if you think about even hands and knees when you're rocking your bum up off your heels. So if you've ever seen um, little infants when they're getting ready to crawl, they kind of, you know, boost their bum up and they're rocking back and forth. Whole body moving. So you're shifting weight onto your hands, onto your feet, hands and feet, hands and feet. So you could think of rolling. If you do rolling in a rhythmical way, that could be a rhythmic movement, right? Okay, so would like rocking be a rhythmic movement? Yeah. Okay. So a lot of these rhythmic movements are done on your belly, on your back, on your side, or in hands and knees. There's not so much that I've seen or read about that are in standing. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So I remember you talking about earlier that those were just some examples of rhythmic movements, but you said that there's a core few, and those probably core three, and then you work your way up sort of uh, thing? Like the core ones, like I tend to use with the population I work with, tend to be supine, prone, so like on your back, on your stomach, or on your side, just for ability level and for ease of 
translation to the home environment and for homework for parents. That being said, if you have a child who's more advanced, you can easily start with the other ones. You don't have to start with the beginning ones. It's whichever ones they're going to respond to the best. So there's not really a progression through these rhythmic movements, just which ones are they going to need at what point. Would they be able to begin in a sling, I guess, sling or a swing, or does it have to be on the ground? So because we want the body moving, the swinging actually takes away from a lot of that rhythmic movement. So swinging them forward and backward is only vestibular, um, like linear vestibular activation. So it's not going to achieve the rhythmic movement because you're only stimulating that one part of the system, which doesn't hit the whole reticular activating system. So you're missing your, you know, you're only getting vestibular, you're not really getting proprioceptive, you're not really getting tactile, although you might be getting a little bit of proprioceptive, Mm -hmm. you're not getting the amount that you could get if your whole body was moving on the solid ground. Right. Yeah, like the only one I can think of that you could be doing while you're swinging is like on your stomach because it's that wiggle side to side. Anything that's kind of going um, from your feet to your head, you do want that head rocking with the body. Right, so if you take out the head rocking with the body, so if you think about going on a swing, how hard it would be to get your, you know, that rock going while you're swinging. Mm-hmm. Because the swinging is moving forward, backward, and you also have to try and move them forward, backward, but then adjust for the forward, backward of the swing. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a lot of oh. physics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? mm-hmm. yeah, totally. So while you're doing the rhythmic movements, what does that feel like for your child? So it's going to feel like different things for different people. It all depends on where you are at with your brain maturity. I don't know, Brooklyn, if you remember doing the rhythmic movements and can speak to a little bit about your experience. Yeah, for sure I can. So the first time I did the rhythmic movements, it was the one we discussed earlier. It was laying in supine, so on your back. And it kind of feels almost like you're being rocked to sleep a little bit. It feels very grounding. It feels very relaxing. It's almost like someone's doing yoga for you. That's how I would describe it. Cool. And then did you like any one movement over another one? Mm, That's a good question. I liked, we did on, we did the rhythmic movements on our stomach, on the side, and on the back. I personally liked being on my back the best. Being on my side, I feel I had the biggest reaction to that kind of sideways rhythmic movements in sideline. And what was your reaction? What did you feel at that time? Well, it's a very interesting feeling when you're laying on your side and someone's pushing on your hip. I remember feeling a little bit flushed and it was more of like my brain took a quick pause Mm-hmm. And that's all I could really focus on was just the movement that was happening. It was almost like I was just taking a quick second to understand what was what my body was doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is one where we talked about the limbic system and having that little bit of response. So she, uh, Brooklyn didn't have that outburst, but she definitely had the response. Mm-hmm. She didn't necessarily have the meltdown, right? Mm-hmm. But for mm-hmm. kids, you're still going to see that red flush to the face. So now you're having that brainstem response, right? So your heart rate's going up, your blood pressure's going up, yes, and you're exactly. having to think so much, right? So it's, this ties back in to that limbic system being that response. So now, had we continued on with those sideline ones, we'd probably start to see some changes 
down the road. Yeah. No, I definitely do remember that flush feeling, that little increase in my breathing rate also. I feel like I remember you saying uh, breathe while we were doing it. Yeah, and you can definitely coach breathing them to breathe through it. Um, A lot of the times, therapists or practitioners will actually sing, sing songs in tune with the rhythmic movements. So I would only suggest singing if you can multitask. So (laughs) sing while you're hitting that rhythm or pick a song that goes well with the rhythm your child likes, right? So if they need a faster upbeat song, you just can sing a faster song. If you need something slow, you can go more with like, the twinkle, twinkle, little star, row, row, row your boat. And, you know, those are songs I find people don't have to think about as much to either speed it up or slow it down. Mm. It just helps them regulate a little bit better because they have that auditory input as well. So you don't have to do these in complete silence. You can talk, you can chat. But if you're stopping seeing that flow of movement through the body, then we need to either stop or kind of re resettle. Okay. So does singing while you're doing the rhythmic movements help them be able to tolerate them? Uh, Potentially, potentially. I mean, again, it's an individual case by case, but from what I've seen, it helps them tolerate it a little bit better for sure. Mm, Okay, interesting. So we have talked about how some kids like don't tolerate it, but what would make a kid child not tolerate rhythmic movements? So I think it goes back to the level of maturity of the brain. The more immature the brain, um, the lower the tolerance or threshold is going to be for the rhythmic movements. So again, just starting with where they're at and, and helping build it up. And like we mentioned back when we were talking to Brooklyn about what else can be used in uh, tandem with this therapy, um, you can do reflex integration as well to help build their tolerance again. I guess kind of in your experience... How quickly does that tolerance build up? That's an interesting question because a lot of our children that we see are usually very multifaceted. So, for example, they're going to have more than one health challenge, right? So if you have somebody who's very sensitive to vestibular, it's going to take longer. So let's say they just get really dizzy really quickly, really easily with any sort of movement they're going to take a lot longer to build up to it if you have a child who loves the movement but is just easily overstimulated they'll take to the movement a lot quicker Mm -hmm. um, just because it is so organizing and calming for them so again it's one of those can't really give you hard fast you know they're going to take to it like this but every child will take to it and that's why they give that time frame of you know three six months or a year Mm -hmm. because it does take a while to start to build the tolerance because when you're building tolerance, you're expanding the neuronal networks. You're building the brain. The brain is changing. The neuroplasticity is actively happening, mm-hmm. right? So the more neuroplasticity the child or adult gains, the more the tolerance. Okay. And so you said that children who have maybe a less developed vestibular system will take a little bit longer to tolerate those rhythmic movements. So those Mm -hmm. same children, would they also require more of a slower tempo for the rhythmic movements? Potentially, but it also depends on whether they're hyposensitive or hypersensitive to vestibular input. Mm -hmm. So if they're hyposensitive, you'd be going probably a little bit slower, hypersensitive, you might be going faster, but it could also be vice versa, right? Mm -hmm. So this is not something where it's an exact science of like, this equals this. (laughs) It could just 
he, you know, the opposite for whatever reason, just because of how the brain is developing, right? So it's a little bit trial and error, right? That's why we say respond to who you're working with, watch for those physiologic signs of, you know, the red flush of the face, the increased breathing rate, right? If you're seeing all that, you're on the wrong rhythm, right? Mm So look back, change it, right? If you can respond to them, they'll tolerate it better. Mm. Is there anything else you want to add about rhythmic movement method? I know we touched on a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think rhythmic movement method, like, be consistent. It's not something you can just try for a week and expect to see changes. It's great if you do, but it, it does take time, right? Changing the brain, growing the brain, that neuroplasticity, it doesn't happen overnight. Uh, sometimes it appears as though it does but it doesn't <laughs> in, in the grand scheme of things, right? So a little, lots of little changes are happening, even if you can't see it, which I think is the really cool part about this. Mm-hmm. That is cool. So you said the importance of being consistent with your rhythmic movements. Is there an end point for when, you know, I know you said that there's never too much, but would you ever stop doing them? Or is it just forever? You'll, you'll always see some sort of benefit. I guess that's a good point. So you don't always have to be the one facilitating the movement. So ideally, we want to uh, progress from somebody else facilitating the movement for you to you doing it by yourself. Mm -hmm. And then when you're at the point of you doing it by yourself, you would go until you feel like you don't necessarily need anymore or you've achieved whatever milestone or overcome whatever struggle that you've had, Mm -hmm. whether that be, you know, ADHD, you're, you can focus better in school. And then, so you've noticed the, the symptoms of whatever you're working on have kind of subsided. But then if you stop, you might start seeing them reappear. So at that point, mm. you might start doing the rhythmic movements again. So you can go through periods of like, you don't need them, then something gets a little bit more stressful. And then you're like, hey, maybe I need them a little bit more right now. Because we have to remember that stress and the external environment plays a huge role in where we're at in terms of brain development. But in terms of, I guess we talked a lot about just your cognitive abilities currently, your motor abilities, we don't see a regression with those typically. Although in general, if you don't use it, you lose it, right? So if you were uh, really good at sprinting and you stop sprinting, it is going to take a while to get back to that skill of sprinting, right? That's just an example of, you know, a motor task. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that you'd lose it completely, but it might not look as refined, right? right? So that's also just stuff to watch for and look at in terms of the when to stop rhythmic movements, I guess. Okay, interesting. I actually learned a lot in this podcast. (laughs) That was awesome. Yeah, thank you, Nancy, for having a great brain and for remembering all the stuff and for sharing your information with not only us, but our listeners. I know a lot of people are very grateful for our podcast and that we're able to share this information that not a lot of other people are talking about. That is very important to be talked about. Mm-hmm, you're welcome. Uh, thanks for talking about all these subjects with me. <laughs> yeah, of course. And Brooklyn, thank you as well for joining us again this week. Uh, we really like having a different input and a different perspective on the, on the podcast. So thanks again for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I I love being on. It's so nice to be able to have the opportunity to pick Nancy's brain and see which ways we can apply these even for any one of my clients. It's really interesting. Awesome. Well, yeah, we love being able to share this, this information that, like I said before, does need to be shared. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. 
As always, we would greatly appreciate if you could subscribe, leave us a five-star review, and a comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, as this helps us increase our reach. And stay tuned for another episode coming at you in two weeks.